There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America and delighted to welcome you back uh, again. Uh, Now, on today's show, I'm going to be introducing you to Simon Toy and we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence and uh, and about how that can really help us um, sort of boost sales performance in our organizations, but also I think emotional intelligence in general, really, which is a really important uh, issue an ICU or opportunity that we can all kind of work on and develop. A uh, big thank you to my guest last week. Uh, first, though, Frank uh, Furness, um, or Frank Furness, as some people call him. And uh, we talked last week about, about videos and how to use video in your business. Um, Frank has an incredible network of, of uh, people who look at his videos. He's, he's put uh, literally thousands of videos onto the internet and, and generates all sorts of business through doing that. So if you're looking at a, a video type strategy for your business, do go and check that out. Now, I want to just um, say a few words before I talk to Simon about something that happened this week. And I don't normally talk about uh, the you know events in a, in a particular week as people listen to this show for, for years from the archive. But I think this was particularly poignant. I was at a football match on Saturday, it was uh, uh, Leicester versus West Ham, and we're, we're season ticket holders, and we really a lot of our life re- revolves around Leicester City. And my son, my youngest son, was also a mascot, and he walked out on the pitch in front of thirty-two thousand people. And I looked up at the owner of the club, uh, the chairman um, Vichai, and um, Srivad, so Srivad Hanna Prabha. He's a Thai. Um, person and an amazing emotionally intelligent person who really has galvanized that club and led us to Premier League champions but little did I know that a few hours later only two minutes um, before after we left the club I mean his helicopter came down and he died with uh, four others and there's been a massive outpouring over here of flowers and sentiment and um, and just incredible uh, amounts of people all over the world um, thinking about him. And it got me really thinking about how emotionally intelligent this, this leader was. And um, and also kind of the message that we never know what's going to happen in life. And, uh, you know, when something does, you just don't know. So you might as well lead a really good life. And I think emotional intelligence can can help you do that. And it can also help you, you know, leave a legacy like he's done um, through building those kinds of skills and, and creating something magnificent, as I think um, he did in his lifetime, um, with our organizations and, and, and in our businesses. And, and it can impact so many different sort of facets of, of connecting with people from sales to leadership. So it just seems um, poignant to mention, even though that's a sad story, to mention that because uh, I think emotional intelligence is just a perfect subject to be talking about in, in, in my life this week after, after what has happened over at the weekend. So we're going to talk um, with Simon, and, I, and I'm just thinking, you know, how how often do you think about um, interpersonal relationships, and how um, you know, and and how you build your ability to express your emotional emotions and deal with empathy and and those sorts of things. And you know, do you really focus on mastering emotional intelligence? Now, Simon is the MD of Performance Associates. They were formed back in 2001. 
And they specialize in developing emotional intelligence with a real focus on influence, resilience, optimism in times of change. And they work right through from graduates uh, through to board level. Um, they've engaged with organizations all over the globe. And they've got a real ability to educate, to motivate, and I think entertain with their work. Now, um, Simon also will share a little bit. He's got a very unusual sporting background, which uh, I think will be fascinating to to talk about. And uh, and they really focus in on um, personal excellence and how positive psychology can help our own performance. They focus on leadership and how leaders create an environment of high performance that can lead to profit and growth, team management and also the psychology of sales. So a huge welcome today to my guest, Simon Toy. Thank you very much, Chris. Lovely to be here. Uh, nice, nice, nice talking with you. So I often start with my guest, Simon, and just ask them, you know, what part of the world you're currently in? Because we, we talk to people all over the globe. Right. Well, at the moment, I'm sat in my office uh, in the south of England, just north of the city of Portsmouth. The sun is pouring into my office. It's a lovely day, and I'm looking forward to the weekend very much. Fantastic! Yeah, it's beautiful down on the south coast yeah. of England. So, um, I can imagine. I work, one of my things my kids always say is, "Dad, why can't we live somewhere near the sea?" <laughs> Just have a, a nice. It is nice to be near near the water. I think. Yeah. So, well, Portsmouth is the only island city in in the UK. So there's a fact for you to remember. Excellent. Excellent. So, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and also? Let us know. We've we've teased people a little bit about your unusual sporting background. So tell us a bit about uh, you know maybe where you grew up and how you came to what you to do what you do, and then tell us about this sporting hobby. Okay, um, I knew you were going to ask about this, obviously, because we've spoken about it. But um, I grew up. I grew up in this area. I, my parents both lived uh, in a place called Hailing Island, which is a small island next to Portsmouth. It's quite quiet, so always lived near the sea. I spent three years in Atlanta, Georgia, where my dad was a design engineer for the Lockheed company. And he was one of the designers for the uh, the Galaxy transporter plane in the US. So I actually started school in the in the States and used to speak with a Southern Dra. Although not, luckily that was beaten out of me when I came back to the UK. Um, so I had a very what I would call a very conventional upbringing. Um, my dad was an engineer, as I said. My mum was a nurse, although she gave up to bring... Uh, myself and my two sisters up and she went back to nursing when we when we grew up and we were in our teens and uh, yeah I went to the local grammar school um, left went to university studied at university left and went into sales so I went to work for Mars Pepsi Xerox in sales sales training sales management and that was sort of my introduction did that for nearly 10 years that was my introduction if you like into the corporate world that's that's what we, I forgot about that. That's where we've got a connection, haven't we? Because uh, I was in Mars and sales as well, but I, I think at a different time to you. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's a big company. Um, a big and, company. And, good company. Great company. Yeah, very good. Excellent training and, and a real insight into the whole sales process. So, yeah, that's my sort of my introduction into, um, I suppose, the, the corporate environment, the corporate world. And what about this hobby then? What was it? Okay. Um, well, <laughs> as a teenager, <laughs> yeah, I know. I played. Uh, I played rugby, um, and uh, it was at a time when rugby players were getting bigger and getting stronger. And so, 
thinking the position I played was is referred to as flanker. So there's a lot of tackling, a lot of running involved. And I guess my thinking was, let's go and get stronger, because if I'm stronger, I can tackle better and, and that will be all good for playing better rugby. And so I joined a local gym and started with a, a friend of mine to do powerlifting. Uh, and we did some powerlifting, which is like squats, deadlifts and bench press. Basically, the basic exercises to get you stronger. And uh, <laughs> whilst going to the gym, uh, I noticed some of the guys that were there who were less involved in how much weight they could lift and more what they look like. So it was, if you like, the bodybuilding subculture. And it, I don't know how it happened, but the bug bit me and I ended up starting to compete in a couple of body, but local bodybuilding competitions uh, that ultimately culminated in me winning the 1986, it was, Mr. England title. Wow. So that was my little claim to fame uh, in, in, that, uh, in that arena. Excellent. So it's the uh, first time we've had a Mr. England on the on the show. What <laughs> will be the last? <laughs> Excellent. And what I mean, did you what do you learn about that? Because there must be a lot of discipline involved in bodybuilding. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest. Um, when I my dad was what I would call a conventional. He was originally from Bur- well, he was from Birmingham. He moved down to the south coast with work, and he saw things very conservatively and traditionally and played cricket um football but cricket particularly had trials with warwickshire as a a youth and uh when i went back and announced (laughs) that was my way at that age dad i'm going to be a professional bodybuilder you can only imagine the response i got there and to say he didn't get it at any stage is an understatement um, even when I won the Mr. England, he just didn't get it at all. And I think as a parent now of a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old, if either of those, my daughter or my son came back and announced anything as maybe unusual as that, I don't know how I'd, I'd respond, to be perfectly honest. But I think what dad missed, um, and, and I wouldn't say this is just a bodybuilding thing, I'd say this is any competitive sport, if you can call it a sport, um, environment, is that it does teach you a few things. Uh, I'd say for me, it was all about goal setting. What am I doing it for? And really making sure that I understood the steps required. So to achieve anything at that level, you mentioned the word dedication. It's critical. Um, and, you know, it's it's not just you can't just do it when you feel like it. If you've got an aspiration to, for instance, enter a competition in the September, you start preparing the year before and you used to diet like crazy. And five months of that time, you'd be on a restricted calorie diet. You would be training. You'd abstain from alcohol. You'd try and get maximum rest. So there was an enormous amount of focus, dedication towards the end goal um, with constant measures in place to say whether you were on track or not. And my dad never got that. And I think that taught me a lot that I took forward when it got to the um, – so the more corporate side of what I do. Um, and I think more than anything else, if I'm honest, I really got a good understanding of motivation. And it taught me something which I used to dr- I used to dislike about myself, which was I always used to think motivation is a great thing in terms of aiming for something. So I used to think it's really good motivation if you were striving to achieve. And it, I discovered quite early on that far from being motivated towards success, I'm actually hugely motivated away from failure. And it used to be, (laughs) this is the only way I can describe it. When you're 
in your late teens and early 20s and you know you're going to be stood on a stage in front of 300 people in a pair of what I'm now referred to as budgie smugglers <laughs> for music covered in fake tan and baby oil the idea of looking even more ridiculous than that sounds used to drive me to train as hard as I possibly could because I didn't want to look stupid and and that, and that was a massive motivator for me not looking stupid and I think even now we we'll come on to it a little bit later with my own business now uh, with my I'm a, and a, my colleague Margaret laughs about this I'm much more concerned about well, what happens if we don't win business than the success if if we do win it so I'm more concerned about not having than having and it's a real I used to worry about it, but now I just recognize it. it's the thing that gets me going. So it's it's been an interesting one. And I've been lucky enough to meet a bit like yourself, Chris, very successful people. And I remember ha- listening to a, a conversation between Michael Owen, the, the, the football or soccer player that used to play for uh, Liverpool and, and England, and Johnny Wilkinson, the, uh, the fly half for England rugby. And they were talking, it was around the time of 2003 when England won the Rugby World Cup. Oh, only uh, success in that event and they were talking to each other and Michael Owen talked about the reason he liked taking penalties was because if he scored a penalty he could win a game and it was the idea of taking the penalty and having the success and that's what used to drive him to want to do it and train and practice whereas Johnny Wilkinson said the thing that would get him out and he was renowned for his obsessive training he said the thing that used to motivate him to keep, particularly with kicks, kick, 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 and practice and practice and practice, and he was generally regarded as the best kicker, penalty kicker in, in world rugby, was the idea that if he was given the chance to kick to win a game for England, his big fear was, what if he missed? Mm-hmm. And if he missed, he'd let the whole team down. So he would have the same style of motivation and, uh, and away from motivation that resonated with me, whereas Michael Owen although I think it sounds great, isn't isn't the way I'm, I'm wired for motivation. I think it was only when I started bodybuilding that I realised that's the level or style of motivation that I've got. Yeah, and, and I guess with getting things done, it's about developing strategies that work for you. And Absolutely, yeah. And for everybody. We've got three minutes till we go to commercial break. So it'd be good just to just tell us what um, performance associates really do. How, how do you help people? Okay, well... Um, I, after graduating, I said I went into the corporate world and sales, sales training, sales management. Um, and I was approached after about 10 years of that to join a small training company. And I joined for three years and loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was it was like a dream job. You know, you're working, training people, developing people. Um, but after three years, it really struck me that they were very set in their ways and, um, and a bit too restrictive and set in their ways. So we had opportunities to do new stuff and they were very cautious and not wanting to do it. And uh, with one other person, uh, we left with basically no clients to set up performance associates under the catch-all and banner of let's explore all ways to develop people through what I would call positive psychology. So all the tools and techniques, and by people, I don't just mean others, I mean ourselves too. And the idea was not to necessarily recruit and employ people, but to develop a network of specialist, high-quality associates and we've got over 40 now that we've developed in the last 17 years who are really great. We can pull people in and work collaboratively on the basis that I believe in the abundance mentality. We can work with people, do great job for our clients 
and then we don't work together until the next piece of work that suits them and i can pull on on numerous people and margaret my business colleague is brilliant at orchestrating and pulling together this team that enables us to offer what i think is big company capability from a small bespoke training company and i guess that's what we do that makes uh, makes makes a huge amount of sense i remember somebody saying to me um, a, a client of mine saying uh, chris we're always we're never going to get married because i we've said i was never going to go and uh, work there but uh, we're always going to have dates yeah. sometimes <laughs> i thought it was quite good really yeah, and that's i guess that's a brilliant way of, of uh, encapsulating what i've just tried to, to to get across yeah um so and and i guess that led us to look at howard gardner stuff on multiple intelligences i don't know if you've come across it chris but he was a, um, a yale professor of education i believe and he talked about different types of intelligences. I think he identified originally seven that grew to nine. Things like music, verbal, visual, logical, kinesthetic, naturalistic. But two that really resonated were intra and interpersonal intelligence. And it's that that really grew through Daniel Goleman into the what, what I would say we focus on, the whole concept of emotional intelligence. Uh, and that whole idea of how you can use emotions and emotional intelligence to develop and perform more effectively. Fantastic. Well, that's a perfect point to go to commercial break. After the commercial, sorry, I'll start again. After the commercial break, <laughs> we'll we'll start talking. We'll talk about um, some of the different components of uh, emotional intelligence and uh, how we can start to uh, really develop those different areas and become um, even stronger at them. So I'll be back with you again with Simon in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Simon Toy, and we're talking about emotional intelligence. And Simon, you were started to tell us about um, you know what emotional intelligence I think is, and you referred to um, to Goldman in, in particular. And uh, I'm kind of interested, you know, how does it really impact performance, and uh, and what are some of the areas of performance that it impacts? Okay, well, uh, like I said, to me, the first contact was or introduction to the concept was Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences, and then following that through and looking at some of Goldman's work, um, the, the way we would define um, emotional intelligence would be to say that you can split it into two halves as the self, you, the intrapersonal, and the social, the interpersonal intelligences. And in both, you need to be aware, but also be able to manage or regulate. So it's how well you as an individual can recognize your own motivators, drivers, aspirations, goals, barriers, and develop strategies. You can be aware and manage your emotional state to get what you want, but also from a social or interpersonal perspective, you can spot this in other people. You can see other people's motivators, drivers. You can see where they are in terms of their emotional state with respect to what they're trying to do. And if they're not where they want to be, you have the ability to if you like, intercede and actually make a difference and help them achieve more. So it's two very distinct areas, the self and the social. And the reason we try and be really clear is I think, you know, we've been going now for best part of 18 years and we speak to lots of organisations and you often speak to people, particularly in business, which is really hard nosed and about performance. And there's something a bit nebulous sometimes about emotional intelligence yes it's nice and it's kind of good and yeah but it's a bit fluffy and our argument is well you know whether or not you recognize emotional intelligence as an actual intelligence and there's much conjecture about that within the academic circles the most important thing is if you can galvanize your own resources and your own ability and you can do the same with others then in business that's absolutely critical so for us chris the focus has always been on how do you make emotional intelligence actually drive performance? And we kind of split that into three areas where, where we look at it, which is this is personal excellence. So this is, you know, working with someone like yourself, for instance, you'd, you'd sit down and say, well, how do you make Chris Cooper the best Chris Cooper can be? And that's the personal excellence piece. But then there's also how do you shape leaders and leadership? And how does, how does that individual then become a great leader? an impact on climate, on culture, and get the very best out of large groups. And then when you look at teams specifically, then it's more to do with how does a single manager or individual get the very best out of a small um, integrated team. And the area we probably focus in the most apart from leadership would be the sales area, because most organisations have a big sales capacity that we work with so those, t those tend to be the areas we work in and it all stems out of that personal excellence piece and for me it's really fascinating i've just been looking at a lot of research recently around uh talent 
and, and I find talent really interesting. Um, there's a couple of books. Uh, Daniel Coyle's work on the talent code and, and Jeff Colvin, that the talent is overrated, both really interesting. They both refer to the fact that we often say, oh, that person's very talented at what they do. And then that can be in any walk of life. And there have been numerous studies to say, is it possible to identify in advance whether someone has got the talent that's actually going to yield high performance? And the vast majority of the research, it's nearly impossible. The only thing that really does correlate with super successful people in all walks of life, whether it be music, sport, politics, business, you name it, the one thing that consistently comes out is that they work remarkably hard. In other words, they put in consistent training targeted at what they want to achieve over long periods of time. And this idea of hard work sort of flies in the face of, you know, work smart, not hard, that actually you need to do both. <clears throat> and the personal excellence element of emotional intelligence, knowing your motivators, knowing your drivers, knowing your aspirations and goals, lies at the absolute heart of high performance, in our opinion. And recognising the barriers that will stop you, either internal to you or in the wider world, that is where you start to see emotionally intelligent people not just giving in, but developing strategies and also really working hard on developing an optimistic mindset. And, you know, if you look at Martin Seligman's work on optimism, it's just fantastic. And it links into all Wiseman's work on luck and why are some people lucky and others unlucky. It really does integrate beautifully with optimists tend to be lucky, pessimists tend to be unlucky. And the best thing is Seligman's work says both pessimism and optimism are learnt qualities. And so we do an awful lot of work around that. And it ties in with the mindset piece that Carol Dweck, a, a professor at Stanford University, she talks about growth mindsets. And it's linked in again to this whole thing about personal excellence and how a, a growth mindset looks, someone with a growth mindset would look at a challenge and embrace it. They'd look at obstacles as things that need to be persisted through. The effort is the route to mastery. That criticism is simply feedback that you can learn from and that other people's success rather than being something to be feared should inspire you to learn what do they do and how can I duplicate it and I'm a massive believer that the start of all emotional intelligence is that self pace around personal excellence I couldn't agree more I think it's really key I was um since I was, I was referring to Carol Drecker and talking about growth mindsets on Tuesday with some Client, clients of a, a growing um, entrepreneurial business and what I was trying to the message I was trying to get across to the people in the group were that um, you know as a business grows and, and goes through the stages from um, from startup to building to growth and then maybe at some point in time there might be you know sale or growth through acquisition or something like that with particularly with you know, with small businesses uh, actually there's nowhere to hide 
And uh, when you're taking on employees, and maybe you've been founders and you're putting in all that hard work that you articulate there, uh, you need to bring people who've got a growth mindset into the business as well. So they will help it, help it build and grow. You can't take passengers who just come into into the into an office and try and hide and then go home, um, so that they can uh, live and enjoy the weekend. You need everybody in there to be developing, growing, building as one team. Um, and, and it really it kind of starts with you, doesn't it? And your sort of own philosophies about yourself and your own uh, your values and your as you say your motivators and, uh, and and making that conscious effort to keep learning as you clearly do with all these books that you've been referring to. Yes. Yeah. It's not a static thing. It's continuous as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's that thirst for learning, which which is interesting because I, I, you, that kind of leads into, so if that's your personal standards that, that are important for you, and you're absolutely right, Chris, in small startups or elite teams, I was listening to one of your podcasts with Mark Bowman, the guy that cycled around the world. One of the things he's done is cycle around the world. I find it fascinating because he, he talks about his small team and how critical everyone's role is. In an environment like that, one person letting you down or one person not doing everything they're capable of destroys everything. Yeah. But you go to lots of big organisations and you get what I would call the coasters, the minimalists. And that work ethic isn't there. That personal excellence is, is suboptimal. And I, I was listening to Clive Woodward, again, someone I've, I've, I've met numerous times. And he said, great teams are made up of great individuals. And big organisations are made up of great individuals if they're going to be great. And to be a good leader or a great leader, you don't need to motivate people. People want to be motivated. What you've really got to do is to help remove the barriers that demotivate people. But if you're going to do that as a leader or as a, as a manager, you have to have excellent both self-awareness and social awareness and then develop the skill sets to actually do something about it. I think you're absolutely, absolutely on onto it here, and and is it the responsibility therefore of the, is, is it about the organisation, organisations um, making sure they recruit the right people with a growth mindset, or are organisations do you think do they need to take the responsibility to help people to make that transition? Well, there are clients we've worked with that would do both. Um, I mean, obviously it's not always easy in, a, in an organization to say, well, let's just get rid of everyone who hasn't got a growth mindset, who isn't optimistic and hasn't got great EI from a personal excellence perspective. And let's replace them with people that have. Um, <laughs> oh, that it could be so easy because that kind of suggests that the whole idea of training and development uh, is a waste of time. So we definitely believe that, A, yes, you should try and recruit and look for the qualities that, 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 that deliver personal excellence. But actually, good EI training with good quality EI coaching is absolutely demonstrated to increase the emotional intelligence of the wider community. So it is definitely trainable. I mean, that's Seligman's work, Learned Optimism, Learned Helplessness. There were the two books that he wrote that were sort of seminal in the area of optimism. Uh, but the whole idea is these are learned qualities. Dweck talks regularly about developing the growth rather than the fixed mindset. So it's it's not that these are fixed commodities. The big challenge, though, is do people have the mentality to say, I need to learn, I need to develop, it's up to me? And do they have a thirst for learning uh, and a real um, interest in being the best they can be? Because if not, that's the biggest challenge. It's the I don't need it, someone else does. But from our perspective, leaders that don't embrace and walk the talk 
are a bad role model. You need your leaders, your senior people to be saying, we don't just want emotional intelligence in our organisation. We need to live and breathe emotional intelligence from a personal excellence perspective and be emotionally intelligent leaders if we want the organisation to become more emotionally intelligent. How do you, I find that quite intriguing and I do, I do meet them on my journey sometimes, people who really don't get learning and development and maybe they've got their, you know, they've almost got a guard up, which, um, you know, which is about, you know, don't tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> and uh, and they, aren't, they aren't open to learning and development. So what, what sort of emotionally intelligent ways do you have to try and connect with those people such that they maybe have a paradigm shift and change? Okay, well, to, to, to me... It's trying to illustrate and demonstrate examples where the use or the development of further EI, because let's face it, everyone has got an element of emotional intelligence. I mean, it's it's this, this whole thing. I mean, it's this whole talent thing. I mean, no one is supremely emotionally intelligent when they're born. They develop these these tendencies. And, and I think it's really interesting. It's I guess the whole emotional intelligence mindset optimism piece it would all fall under the banner of attitude as much as it there are skills associated with it and knowledge it's much more about your attitude than anything else and you know you, you hear all these glib statements like you know your altitude is determined by, by your attitude and, and so on and we all nod and sagely think yeah yeah that's true but what does it mean and it's an interesting one because chris if, if we said to any of your listeners um here's a bit of knowledge learn this it will help you do what you do more effectively most people say okay i'll keep that in my back pocket and i'll use it when i need it if you say to someone here's a skill if you get better at this it will help you do your job better you know whether you're a salesperson closing whether it's as a leader developing empathy you think yeah that's a skill that i could learn but the minute you turn around to someone and say you know i really want you to think about how you can improve your attitude most people get remarkably indignant cross mm. their arms point at you and say well it's not my attitude mate it's yours you need to sort your own attitude out and i think that's part of the challenge we kind of think my attitude is who i am my knowledge and skills are things that i've learned and actually for me it's just saying look we've learned our attitudes our attitudes are learned in exactly the same way as we learn knowledge and we learn skill and if we can accept that and there are numerous ways of demonstrating that with examples then the minute you think Do you know what i can actually develop my attitude as well most organizations spend about 80 percent of their money budget that is and time developing more knowledge internally they spend about the rest the rest of the 20 percent on acquiring skills um, for implementation hardly any organizations spend much time or money on the development of attitudes they kind of say well we've got to recruit the right people i totally disagree i think you definitely recruit people and then develop their attitudes further if you understand what you mean by attitude Mm. so we've got just a four minutes to a commercial break now and i think um it'd be good to have a little chat about emotional intelligence and sales and and how have you found emotional te- intelligence can really uh, improve sales results and what, what, what do we right. need to look at yeah well i'm lucky i w- margaret and i my business colleague margaret and i we work with a, a psychologist who did a what is referred to as, as a meta-analysis for us. So we, we had this conversation way back, about 2011. It was stimulated by a, a piece of um, work published by Gallup, uh, looking at you know 
the sales piece. It was about 37,000 people were, were, were um, in this one particular study analyzed. And we asked the question of ourselves, do you think there's a DNA for sales? Is there a sales DNA that all great salespeople have this DNA within them? And so we called it the PA Genome Project and to try and identify the DNA of good sales. So this meta-analysis was done. Uh, it was run through um, Gil- in Guildford at Surrey University at the time. That's where our psychologist was based. And a meta-analysis, it went from four and a half thousand papers, stripped it down to about 350 that were valid and robust. And what was interesting, I identified seven areas or competencies that consistently came out in all of these four 350 odd um, studies. And of the seven areas, five of them were predominantly emotional intelligence in their basis. And what we did off the back of that was to construct an intervention where we identified two competencies or two skills to refine that were about the self element of EI and then two that were focused more on the social side of EI, melded it into a program and started running it with a couple of organisations just to see what happened. It was part of the research. Um, We worked with a small SME that were involved in fleet management and their sales grew threefold in 18 months working with the sales director and his sales managers and cascading what we call emotional intelligence in sales, these four elements through the sales force. And that was the first time we really got a handle uh, that this was something that would work. And then we repeated it with a large client of ours uh, about a year and a half ago with over 200 salespeople where we actually had EI sales coaches going out and visiting with these salespeople. And the upturn in sales was 5% above the projected growth rate. And it yielded about £4 million in increased revenue. So I would say if you want emotional intelligence, there are definitely things that you can do. And once you've developed them in people, they do stand out from the crowd. Excellent. Well, we're going to get a commercial break again now. But after the commercial break, we'll talk a bit more about that and see if we can um, find out a little bit more about these uh, particular emotionally intelligent um, skills and uh, and social uh, characteristics that we need to build on and develop. So we're we'll back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm really enjoying talking to Simon Toy and talking about emotional intelligence. It's an area that uh, uh, Simon and I both um, feel very, very passionate about. And, you know, I love the first point about it. It's about personal excellence. And we all have to work on ourselves, whether we're um, we're wanting to develop our careers or we're leaders, um, probably leading teams. And actually, you know, if we if we if we build our own emotional intelligence, you know, we, I think we're going to attract um, our people to want to develop theirs, and they'll see how we're operating and behaving, and uh, that will have an impact on them as well. And I think um, I also think it's very important is this concept about um, attitude. Uh, I always remember because Simon and I were both in Mars in sales and sales trainings. We always talked about knowledge, attitude, and skills. And you can acquire knowledge, um, you can develop skills, but attitude—that's the the harder one. And uh, and I think uh, it, it's essential though to keep on building attitude because when you've got people who are really engaged, the research. Um, we looked into uh, engaged salespeople, for example, deliver 43% more uh, sales is one statistic that's uh, become through. And through the work that Simon's um, explaining about um, sales DNA, you know, they, they added, um, helped a company add another £4 million by uh, building their emotional intelligence. So I just want to talk about that now, Simon, um, this, this sales DNA project you did. Could you tell us a little bit about some of those um, key skills and uh, and social areas that you you developed or develop with your clients that you've deemed in sales are particularly important? Yeah. Um, well, but the, as I said, there were seven what we called categories uh, and competencies. Um, and they fell under the banner of sales knowledge, which included a whole host of things, including you know understanding your sales process, your products, your competitor products, your marketplace, and so on. So all the, if you like, the the logical, intellectual, IQ-driven elements, which in actual fact, without, you couldn't function. So it's, it's if you like, you talked about knowledge, skill and attitude. It's the knowledge bit. If you don't have that, you can't really do very much. In fact, there's a, there's a, a saying that we sometimes use is if you've got no knowledge or very low knowledge and very low skills, but you've got a tremendous attitude, you could be deemed a, a, a motivated idiot, which no one wants to be that. So you do need plenty <laughs> of knowledge and skill. I mean, that, that goes without saying. It's not to say attitude is the be all and end all. You do need good knowledge. You also, cognitive aptitude came out in salespeople. So that is that they've got a great ability to articulate their case, to talk things through. So verbally, they've got great verbal dexterity. Um, but the other things that came out which were interesting is they've got quite a good general knowledge, the best salespeople. So they, you know, obviously in the UK at the moment, Brexit's everywhere. You can't turn without seeing something. But they would have an ability to know about general knowledge, pull it in, make it relevant for their customers and clients. 
and and, and create stories and provide more than just a solution to a single problem with a single product or, or service. So their general knowledge tends to be, they tend to be deemed as quite well read if they're very top of their game. But the other one was that they've got good um, numeric skills, their ability to talk about their product or service in terms of the financial benefits to their customers and clients came through. So that sort of fell under the banner of cognitive aptitude. But the others, which we found it fascinating, emotional adaptability, the ability to read other people's emotions and adapt. This really is at the heart of emotional intelligence. Then there was this motivation and engagement. You've just said, Chris, you know, about motivated or engaged salespeople sell for 43% more than disengaged people. Uh, understanding our motivation and engagement and working on those things was critical in sales. Optimism and resilience, which we've already sort of touched on. We know optimists outsell pessimists 37% year on year when people are of equal capability. That's what Seligman's work. And then there was this piece on role clarity. Do you absolutely know what it is you're there to deliver? And also, do you stop things getting in the way of that? You find a lot of people who are mediocre at what they do get pulled off track and, oh, that was interesting, I went and did this, or I quite like that, so I'll do that. But the activity itself doesn't get you to where you want to go. So being ruthless in saying, I know exactly what I want, I've got such clarity on my role, I won't let stuff, no matter how enticing, get in the way, I'll keep focused on what I need to do. And then there's this whole personality piece. Um, and what's really interesting is the number of salespeople that will tell you, oh, the most important thing in selling is rapport with my customer. Uh, the actual truth is the two elements of the sales process that correlate most strongly with sales success is pre-planning. And by pre-planning, not just your business case, but pre-plan people. If I know I'm coming to see you, Chris, I'll think about the type of person you are, the way you like to be communicated to, the way you make decisions, what influences you. I'd work on you and create a you strategy as well as the business strategy. That's the number one predictor as well as, as to whether or not I'm likely to be successful in a sales environment. The second, though, and this is equally important, is do I ask for the business? Do I actually seek to gain commitment? And what we find so often is salespeople, inverted commas, wing it, or they think they've explained so well that the customer will just buy or order. And actually, if you don't ask for the business and have strategies and techniques linked to that, and you haven't planned thoroughly in advance, everything else is really quite superfluous. So those are the key areas. And what we did when we stripped it down in the areas that we worked were, were that a really savvy, EI-capable salesperson turns adversity into triumph and success by simply looking at any given situation, reframe really effectively using optimism and uh, CBT techniques of looking at things from a different perspective and, and challenging their limiting beliefs. That's the first thing. The second thing, they can switch it on even when they don't feel like it. So we talk about state management. You know, if you're a, I mean, give an example, this this weekend there'll be many sports events on. I mean, you, you talked about the tragedy at Leicester uh, and, and the crash of the chairman's uh, helicopter. 
really, really sad news. And if you're associated with Leicester, that would be a tremendously difficult thing to deal with. But as a professional performing at a high level, if you aren't able, even when you feel that level of, of sadness, if you're not able to just turn a switch and perform at your best, then you are at the beck and call of environment around you rather than in control of your own performance. So not only can you reframe and turn adversity into triumph, but you're actually able, even when you feel down, to switch it on in the moment. And those two are the key self-focusing elements. And then other people, it's being able to read people accurately. And we do an awful lot about the little gives people um, reveal. How can you tell when someone's genuinely bought in? There's some really, really solid research about how you read people's um, body language and little gives that will tell you whether they're buying into what you're saying or not. And if they're not, that's when you need to challenge. And it's understanding then that not just you can read people and what they are trying to perhaps hide from you, but also can you influence people's behavior positively based on their personality so knowing that someone is you know a particularly detail intensive data driven individual versus a very people focused how's it going to affect everyone in the team understanding that people are different and having specific strategies i I mean there are lots of tools and techniques out there i speak to so many people say oh i'm a this or i'm a that and you feel like saying so what you know, you're involved in sales or leadership. You've got to influence other people. It's not what you are, but it's more about how you interact with other people. And there's a great book called um, How to Deal with Difficult People. And the definition of a difficult person is someone who's not like you. Because we can all deal with people who are like us because it's easy. The skill from an emotional intelligence perspective is I can get on with people I'm not like. And if I can't do that, then really I'm in the wrong role if I'm trying to lead or sell. Woo. So there's uh, there's quite a bit we need to think about here, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff, as you can probably tell. <laughs> so how, how do you then work with clients and help them through this, this journey? Well, for us, um, there are lots of ways of measuring EI. Uh, there are inventories, questionnaires, interview strategies that you can have. In our experience, the way it works best is to go in and find out what a client really wants because you know, defining the outcome. I said about in, in sales, having that real um, clarity of role is essential. It's the same with this. Emotional intelligence can help different people achieve different things. So you know, it depends what you want. And until you know what people want, it's very difficult to put the plan in place and then work out how to galvanize our emotional capability to, to achieve it. So what we normally do is we sit down and get real clarity on what's the outcome you're looking for. And, and when you've got that, then it's not just having a plan. I mean, a plan is a bit like having your sales process for a salesperson. A plan is usually a business plan or a strategy. That's fine. But then it's actually about the people. Uh, there's a great book called Switch, which looks at change. And it says that, um, you know, there's the logical side to our brain. And the, the analogy is it's a bit like a rider, a person sat on something. The something it sat on is your emotional brain. And the analogy is it's like an elephant. And if you if you or I, Chris, sit on an elephant and we want to go straight ahead and the elephant wants to go left, there's only one place you're going and that's left. 
because the elephant is big and it's powerful and our brains are like that we can logically want to engage in a change or a a, a, a a program but if we're not emotionally bought into it we are unlikely to stick to it and the thing about the emotional brain it's like a child you know when we're on a long journey in a car with a small child you got to the end of the road and what's the question they ask you are we there yet and of course emotionally we get bored very quickly when we don't see results logically we know things might take a year or 18 months or even longer but emotionally we want the results immediately so how do we engage and there are a number of techniques that we could then put in place to help sustain the program of change that an organization wants by putting in place emotional intelligence strategies that support and the biggest thing that we find is you've got to get real clarity on the barriers because it's you know it's like when people join gyms it always makes me laugh they join a gym because they look in the mirror and there's a fat person in the mirror and they think i don't like that i want to do something about it so you go on a diet you go to the gym and you think yeah i've done it and of course when you go what's the first thing that happens you're physically in pain and you're starving hungry and so if those two things happen what happens you start thinking why am i doing this i hate it i used to like it when i could go and have a beer and a bit of pizza and so what happens is people become demotivated very quickly and that's because nothing was put in place to help them deal with two barriers that were guaranteed you're going to get hungry and you're going to be sore and if you don't put anything in place then people give up which is why the average number of times a brit goes to the gym when they join is five well same thing with organizational change and programs of growth and development we put things in place everyone's really excited at conference or for the week or so afterwards and then reality hits but we haven't done anything to flag up what the barriers are going to be and put strategies in place and to me that's the fallacy simon we've got to, we've got to leave it there because we're right at the end of the show do you have a, very quickly have a, a final message you'd like to leave us with yeah i look forward to hearing from anyone who's trying to implement ai for personal and professional growth you know we work with people to improve organizational performance and achieve more i'd love to hear from anyone that's trying to do the same thanks very much been a pleasure talking to you simon hope you enjoy being on today thanks ever so much bye now you're welcome and for more information on um connect with simon go to performanceassociates.co.uk performanceassociates.co.uk and on next week's show um, i have elizabeth hearn and also um steve um, Sparks from um, Catapult, and uh, what we're going to talk about is um, is is culture and digital. You know, organisations are having to really adopt all sorts of digital technology, and they've got to bring the people along with them. Uh, so it'll be a really interesting conversation next week. A huge thank you to Simon Toy, and uh, if you've got any questions, comments, uh, do email me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.